Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. We are in between series right now, and uh, what I want to do today is I want to share with you, since we had our 20th anniversary, our church birthday just a couple of weeks ago, I wanted to share with you a bit about the DNA or who we are as a church. And you guys, you know that emblems and uh, let's say pictures, things that we hold uh, dear to our hearts, or let's say logos that you immediately know and things that kind of require or at least stimulate you to a quick response like television commercials. Some of them get you to cry. Some of them get you to turn them off, right? And so, you know, but pictures... Logos and, and all, even signs, all carry with them a message. Like some of these. Look, can you tell me what this one means? See, I, I hate that sign. That's like, that's the worst sign ever. And I mean, the only place you see this is mostly in the East Coast and in Myrtle Beach. I don't know. It's just, you know, you don't see this everywhere else in the world. But, uh, you know, but that, ev- that evokes a response. Immediately when some of us see this, we like have a visceral reaction to it. How about this next one? (laughs) No, would you run that little guy down? I mean, if you saw him crossing the road, right? I mean, you laughed, it touched something. All of these pictures just grab you. How about this one? I saw this in Virginia Beach. I was walking around Virginia Beach uh, one evening, we were there for a meeting, and it had these signs all over the place. And I was like, that should be in Myrtle Beach, not in Virginia Beach. <laughs> because walk down our boulevard. But, I mean, what does this say to you? Yeah, no cursing, right. And I'm sure that stops it, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, but, but it says something. It grabs us. Uh, I think that's the last one we have. But how about emojis now? Days. I mean, everybody, yeah, yeah, the most popular emojis. How many of you use those? Everybody. I especially like the thumbs up. Because when you can't talk or you can't do anything, you just got it, you know. It's now when I do that to some of you, you're like, he's just, you know. but, but yeah, I actually read the other day that they're creating a keyboard with just emojis on it, you know. So you actually do not use words anymore. Just use these emblems, these simplicity. But all of them grab our attention. All of them say something to us. Jesus uh, used metaphors a lot. He used pictures. Uh, he described how, what it was like to know his father through pictures and through uh, descriptions of nature. In Matthew 5 and 13 through 15, we read, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This whole passage is what? Emblems, pictures. And Jesus knew, even in his day, that all of those were grabbing the people that he listened to and it was saying something to them. Now, when we say salt, when we read salt in here, it may not mean the same to us that it meant to him. But it's still, we know that saltiness, we know what that means, right? 
I love salt. And it's a good thing I'm blessed with low blood pressure. I love it. You know, I just, I, I, if it loses its taste, if it loses its ability to give taste, what good is it? You just kind of throw it out, right? I mean, and the people that were listening to this, you know, they knew what Jesus was saying. He, he just used these metaphors. And a light of the world shining in the darkness. This is a picture that, uh, to the people at that time, that God does not remain at a distance any longer. That in Jesus Christ, he has come close. For all those thousands of years, God had been back here and kind of veiled. And, and people wanted to get to him. They, they were looking forward to the day when that veil would be pierced and God would come near. And Jesus is saying to, to the people listening to him, to his disciples, that that's the time now that God has come near. The light has come near. It's in you. It's near you. It's here. And now, you now are the light of the world. You now my people, are the ones that say that God has come close. No longer is he distant. No longer is he so far away. No longer is he just holy other, which he is holy other. But not only is he just holy other, but he has come close to us. Uh, This was amazing news then, and I think it's still incredible news now. I still find it just, it just shocks me to consider that Almighty, perfect, creator of all, who has been around forever, loved me, loved us enough to give himself, to reestablish a relationship with us. That is something that is just transcends. It is the light that floods in. And now we are the people who give that message. You're a city or a town on a hill. We're not meant to be hidden. You know, the fact that you announced that God has come close is a very unique, beautiful thing. And uh, we have a very unique message and a powerful message in Jesus Christ. That he is here and he has come. And uh, then a lamp on a stand. You know, it's one thing to put a lamp over in a corner. You know, you put these little things out in your yard to light the trees up, right? You try that? The solar ones, we're trying them now. And they got like a light beam about that big. They just go. But, you know, you want to light it up. And, and Jesus says, no, this light, this announcement of the kingdom of God coming close is worth putting on a stand. Put it on the stand so that everyone can see it. Make it noticeable. Put it out there. The people were just amazed at the metaphors and the emblems and the pictures that he was using at the time. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to use a few pictures this morning to to let us know and to reacquaint us with what I believe is the purpose of this church. And uh, I hope you'll track with me. So let's pray and we'll jump into this. Father, thank you for once again sending your son to establish a relationship with us that, Lord, is one of total forgiveness and one where indeed, Lord, you have come close to us and now we can draw close to you because you have come to us in Jesus Christ. The Father, this morning, uh, for each of us here, whether you have, whether You've stepped across the line, you who are here and and to following Christ yet or not. I pray that you would see. And Father, that you would let us all once again be reminded of this glorious call. Of this wonderful journey, this adventure that you've called us on, Father. So help me in my weakness this morning. Breathe life on your word, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you turn your hand out over, there's a fill-in on the back. And if you want to, you can draw on it. Because we're talking about emblems, right? We're talking about pictures. So you can draw on it. So your first one, 
Do you know what this is? Yeah. You hate these things, don't you? Hello. Yes, this is a megaphone. You know what you guys were doing a while ago? You were singing your heart out on that last song. Part of this church's call from the very beginning till just a few minutes ago when you were singing was to sing with all of your heart. All of your heart. That is a part of the call of this church. Why do you feel what you feel when we worship together and we sing? It's because that is who we are called to be, not just do, but a worshiping people. Now, this can get really irritating, <laughs> right? Especially if somebody is standing right there. But I'm going to tell you something. This never irritates God, ever. You can sing as loud as you want to, as off key as you want to. Oh, people tell me, I got to quit this. People tell me, your first feeling is megaphone, so you can just draw one, right? But people, you know, I've lost my thought there. When you sing, something changes, not just in, let's say, your emotions, but in the whole of the atmosphere of a gathering. There is something very special about God's people when they sing together. There's something very special when, I mean, the first time I went to a church, I tell you, I, you know, I wasn't raised in church. I, I was taken maybe three times when I was a kid. But one thing that I always remembered was the singing. Every time my uh, dad, my mom never went to church, but my dad would take me and he would set me up in this old wooden pew because I didn't go after about eight and only went three, maybe four times before that. But he would set me up in the pew and I would remember the singing. And I remember the faces of looking around the room and looking and going, what in the world is going on here? Look at these people's faces. And the, just sometimes there were tears. Sometimes there was happiness and joy that couldn't be explained. But you knew the whole environment, the temperature, as it were, of the room changed. Now, some churches can get by with having just great musicians and playing, and that's great, and that's good for some, and, and the, the church not singing, but just enjoying the music. But we are not called to that. <laughs> not that I don't want good music. I want great music. But you know what? We are called to sing, all of us, every one of us. Every one of you, everyone, whether you even know God or not yet, sing. Sing to him. You sing in your car. You sing in the shower. You sing. Everybody sings. Just sing. Sing to God. Give the praises. We put it up there and we sing together. That is a part of the DNA of this church. In Genesis 4, 20 and through 22, there is a, there's a story. This is early on in the Bible, right? And it describes three professions right out from the get-go. One of the professions is a guy, was a guy named Jubal. And you know what his job was? He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. What does Jubal, what word does that fit into? Jubilation. That's exactly right. Early on in creation and just a few verses down from 420 to 22, we find out it was the very first time that the people of God called on the name of the Lord in 26. Just four verses later. Now, I don't think that's happenstance. You know what I think? I think God gave music early on so that it was easier for us to pray. That's what I think. 
Just four verses later is the first time in the Bible where we read about the church calling on God or the people of God calling on him. I think it's, you know, I can imagine God going, these people need some help. You know, they, they're not calling on me. They're not praying to me. They're not talking to me. How can I help them? Okay, I'll create this profession. The angels have been doing this forever. They've been singing around the throne. So, here, Jubal, this is your job. Start making guitars. Start making music. You know, start creating things. And, and then the devil came and country music came and, <laughs> and robbed us of all that was good in this world. And now we're still being redeemed. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to see such a good tool from God be used in such a way. I don't know. Oh, you know, it, no, God, I, I believe all music, there is nothing sinful about a note. There is no holy, you know, unholy note. Every note, all of them were made by God. It's how we take them, put them together, and ride them, and use them. And here, I've been pushing for years. I heard a, a pastor at our conference, Gino, say this uh, summer when we were there. He said, you know, it's hard to look good when you're doing something new. <laughs> In other words, every, when you, it's like a, a, a young adolescent that's trying to run, you know. And when you're, when, you're, uh, when you're trying to do something new, you're trying to break out, and you're trying to create different styles of music and you're trying to throw out a welcome mat to more people and uh, you, you, you know you do goofy things like I have around here I've done all kind of things trying to stir that up and trying to create an environment where we can you know we can have different styles of music and different tastes of music and and get challenged a little bit and it's it's hard to look good when you're trying to do something new because I'm a southern white boy I mean you know, I used to leave, I led worship for 20 years. And I, I was, remember I was going into a meeting one time with, where the meeting was predominantly African-American. And, and the two backup singers that I had on my team were both African-American. And we were walking down the hall from my office. And I was nervous. I was like, man, this, you know, this is a worshiping crowd out here. There's like five, 600 people here ready to worship. And, you know, here's the southern white boy leading the worship. And, and, and the two wonderful people beside me looked at me and said, you're white, and it's all right. <laughs> I'll never forget it. Then uh, I was like, yeah, but that doesn't make me feel any better. Because <laughs> yeah, I really want to throw a welcome mat out. And so this church, and this transcends who I am too. This is the church, the vineyard in Myrtle Beach. And whatever God does in us in the future, I believe God wants us to throw a huge welcome mat out of different styles, of different ways, so that every person, no matter your background, you can find a vehicle to worship your creator with. And I mean, I'm open, I'm open to that. I'm open to whatever kind of style it is, you know, because I, I am a musician and I love all kinds of music, most of them. And, uh, and, and so, I'm, I'm, and we're going to sanctify some country music here. I'll, well, I'll have a guest speaker that day. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But do you get this? you get this music? Music is, is the vehicle. I've been, I've been all over the world. I've sat down in Thailand with two young guys that were 15 and 16 years old. They couldn't speak a bit of English. And we played guitars and talked about guitars for six hours. We sat outside in that sticky heat 
and we traded licks and I'd show them a lick and, and they would play it again and we'd cry and we'd pray for one another and we'd play it again. Music is, is though it's a cliche, a universal language. And we are meant to be a singing people. So let's try things. Let's try new things. Let's get better at it. Let's try different styles of music. Let's throw out a big welcome mat to all kinds of cultures and, and languages and ethnicities. You know, in the book of Revelation, at the end of all time, you know what they're going to do? They're going to sing. We're going to sing. And you know what we're going to sing? What does it say? 5-9. And they sang a what song? Somebody knows their scripture? A new song. That's right. You might as well get used to singing new songs because you're going to sing one when Jesus comes back. Right? So new songs are great. We keep challenging ourselves and we keep learning new songs in different styles and all so that we can say to our friends that we work with, that we have coffee with, that are in our families that don't go to church, you know what? You should come with us. Well, there's nothing there for me. Oh, yes, there is something there for you. And so, yeah, maybe we don't look great at it while we're getting there, but we're still going to try to get there, right? We're a singing people. You guys are loosed and set free to sing. Sing with all of your heart. Every revival, every move of God in the history of the world has always been preceded with singing. And it's always been an element of God's presence when God's people sang. And so let's sing. That's a part of our DNA. We're a singing people. All right. Your second one is this. It's a stake in the ground. And I don't have a stake because I don't have a ground but, uh, up here. But I do have a hammer and a nail since my dad was a contractor. So I, know, I do know how to hit this. A stake in the ground. And by this, I mean this church is meant to hammer home the truth of God's word every Sunday. Every small group. Every time we pray. Every time we look at the scripture. We, every time, did you know every time you learn something about Jesus, it settles into your soul a little deeper? Every time you memorize a scripture... Every time you look at a word, every time you come away from Sunday mornings or your uh, midweek or Vine Life meeting at the group you've been in and you've learned another truth, truth and beauty about God, that foundation of your spiritual life has gone deeper every single time. I can tell you, 46 years into this now, following Jesus, I can remember Psalms and all that I learned the first two years that I was a Christian. The ones that I sang by myself, driving to surfing contest. From here to Charleston one time, I, I don't know how many psalms I sang. This is back in the early 70s. But I sang, I sang, and I sang because I knew the more I sang the psalms, the more I sang the word of God, the deeper it would go into my life. And you know what? Years later when pain entered my life, you know what I remembered? That part of the nail, that part of the stake that was down into the ground. It kept me when the wind would come and blow. And this church... It's meant to nail and to drive the stake into the ground of our lives of God's truth, of his beauty, of his glory. His word is not boring. His word is full of treasure and full of hope and wisdom and help for us. It's where we learn about his great love for us, his plan for the world. How to have a good home is in there. How to run your business is in there. How to deal with a rebellious child is in there. All of that's in there. 
That's right. It's in there, you know. And you're going to need it. So every time you come, every time you go into a Bible study, every time that you're a part of something that digs deeper into God's word, that stake is going deeper and deeper. Jesus' teaching uh, is central to who we are and what we want to learn about. Uh, the speakers we have here, I'm very, you know, you guys know I don't have a whole lot, you know, and, and, but the ones I have, the people that I do have come up here, I know are deeply grounded in God. I know because it's important to me because it's important for us to have that deep into our lives because the winds are going to come. The challenges are going to come. And when they come, depending on how deep that nail, that stake is in the ground, is how well you work through those times. It doesn't mean it won't be painful. I can tell you that right now. It doesn't mean you won't cry out to God and go, God, I don't get this. I don't get this. But you know what? There'll be something deep inside of you that holds you like this. And it's what you learned about him through his word, through your times of study yourself, but also in your church, in your small group, on Wednesday nights. And this church, from the very beginning, one of my cries was, God, create a church here that can stand the, the winds of time and stand the test of trouble and trial and loss. Build a church, Lord, where people come out of this stronger when they walk into the trial and not... Lord, blown away and blown about. There is scripture, of course, that deals with this. And First uh, Timothy 4.16 uh, says this, Watch your life, that's how you behave, right? And doctrine closely, what you believe. Watch how you live and watch what you believe. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and not just yourself, but those who you talk to about Jesus. You see how important it is? It's important to get that, that stake driven deep down inside of your soul, the faith and the trust in God because others are going to be around you at times. And, and that settledness, though you are hurting, though you may be even questioning at times, that stake is there and that foundation is sure. And the, those around you can see that in you. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to make like you're strong. That's not what this is. There's just a settledness and a foundation because you have driven that stake home by coming to know your Lord and your Savior in a much deeper way. And this church was created. That's a part of our DNA. That's who we are. Jesus said in Matthew 7 and 24 through 25, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine... That's good. We hear them when we're being preached like now or in your group or when you read them and puts them into practice, right? It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And so we are a singing church. We are a worshiping church. And we're also a church with a deep foundation. And we may try this and we may try that. And we may do all kinds of things in order to, to reach our community. And to work better at communicating and all. But deep within everything we do is this firm faith in who Christ is. And whom he said we were and we are. And that has to be a part. That is a part of our calling. So, you know, here's another 
another emblem for this since we're beach people. Uh, you put the fence picture up, and I love, you know what these are? You've seen them around the beach, right? When our dunes get knocked down by storms, I just call these dune fences. But uh, you, I put them up, and the wind blows on the sand, and the sand begins to collect around those points because there's like this positive attraction. With Anyway, it's the whole science behind it, too. And it just forms up around, and the dunes begin to start building again, and it also gives time for sea oats to be planted so the sand is not moving around so much. But I thought this is just like the foundation of... of the word in us and learning about Christ as well is I talked about the kingdom of God just a couple of weeks ago, right? The already and the not yet. When you see that fence, is it wood or is it space? Which one is it? It's both. That's exactly right. And that's like the kingdom now. It is and it is not. There are times when we see the presence of God heal people, deliver people, do wonderful things in people's lives. And then there are times where we can see right through it and the wind blows right through it. But you know what? As we live, our lives begin to push up against it and we grow stronger and stronger and stronger in Christ. And so we are a church who believes in a firm foundation of Jesus Christ. Your third one is this. This church is the towel and the bowl. Remember Jesus, the night he was betrayed? He took the bowl, took the towel, and he washed his disciples' feet. It's an amazing thing to me, the kingdom of God is such an upside-down kingdom. Because in the humility of being a servant, God says, I will pour my power out on you, and I will pour my spirit out on you. And he calls us to be a servant. He even goes so far as to use the word slave. We're to serve one another. This church was founded from the very beginning on this deep belief that God has called this church to serve one another and its community. And sometimes it takes humility. Matter of fact, all the time it takes humility to get down on your hands and knees and to wash and to clean the community and to show what Jesus did for us in practical ways. Um, Matthew 20, 26 through 28 says, when, remember his disciples, they're kind of like us. We all want to go, hey, Jesus, how do I get to the head of the class? Remember that? You know, like, I mean, you know, even one of them, you know, two of them's mom, you know, says, hey, how can I get my boys to sit on the right hand and the left hand of you, Jesus, when your kingdom comes, you know? And, uh, and we're like that. Let's face it. You know, we, we got egos. Some of us want to succeed. We want to be at the top. We want to be the best if we can. And Jesus goes, I'll tell you what. You want to succeed? Here you go. Here it is. Take it. Take it. But Jesus just doesn't say take it. He takes it. He takes it. And he gets on his hands and his knees and he washes his best friend's feet. And he says, you should do the same for one another. This church has a deep DNA of the mercy of God like we were singing a while ago, which brings us to celebration, absolutely, but it brings us to our knees in serving our community and one another as well. When uh, we were out in California, our national director got up to speak, and we, were, we do things backwards in the vineyard a lot. There were a few thousand of us there, and we started with ministry time. <laughs> I mean, right out the gate before we ever had a meeting or a, a song, you know. They just walk up and go, okay, we're going to pray for each other. 
But we're like, let's go for a worship. We're ready. Nope. Turn around, grab somebody, pray for them. There's 3,000 people, 4,000 people praying for each other before we ever got started. And Phil came up and said there was a church planter from uh, an independent church planter, a young man that was there. And he walked up to him and said, this place breathes with humility. That's what I want for this church. That's what God has for this church. Is that when we go out into our community, we take the bowl and we take the towel. And God gives us that taste in people's mouths as they come in contact with us and they taste the humility of God. Now, there's a difference in weakness and humility and putting yourself down. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about knowing who you are and who Jesus is and being willing to stoop low to serve the community Jesus loves and to do that with one another. Scripture says in 1 Peter 4.10, and who's it written by? Peter, right? Yeah, he had a little problem, all right? I mean, like a lot of us, but 1 Peter 4.10, Peter says this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to what? Serve one another. Serve one another. Serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Whatever gift you have. And in two weeks, we're going to start a series called uh, Signs of Life on the Holy Spirit. And we'll be talking about gifts of the Spirit and all of this. But Peter says, whatever God has done in your life, whatever gift he has given you, whatever he has blessed you with, you take that and you go serve with it. You serve whatever it is he's given you. Take it, stoop low, and serve with it. So if you can draw a bowl and a towel, and every time, my prayer is this, every, for the next at least day or so, whenever you see a megaphone or you hear somebody talking loud, you're going to think about worship. Whenever you see a stake in the ground or you walk on the beach and you see a dune fence, you're going to think, that's right, I want to dig into my faith. I want to learn more about Christ. And when you see a, when you walk into your bathroom or you walk into some place where there's a bowl and a towel, you would go, that's my Lord. That's the life that he led and the example that he left for me. And then lastly, you guys know what this is? This is my motorcycle charger. (laughs) Yeah, your last one is jumper cables. Jumper cables. See, this is the beauty of the kingdom. We stoop low with a bowl and a towel, and God says, I am going to come upon you with power. Who gets to do this? We do. Is that not wonderful? I mean, God says, yes, stoop low. Humble yourself. And then he says, I'm going to come upon you in power and you're going to be my witnesses in Myrtle Beach, in Horry County, in South Carolina, in the United States, in India, in Zambia, of which Brian and Doug, Brian, you're here. Doug's not here, is he? But Brian is coming. Brian and Doug are headed to Zambia here in two days. And, uh, you know, they're going out. That's preaching the gospel just like Jesus said would happen. And you know how you do that? And you will notice the power does not come from us. 
That's why you should not have a problem praying for sick people. Because you can't heal anybody. You get this? The power to pray for people comes from the power source. But you know what Jesus said in Acts 1? We're going to unpack this in a couple weeks. He says, you go to your room, you stay there until the Holy Spirit comes. And when he does come, you know what? Things are going to change. Peter, you cannot go out and preach a sermon not until the Holy Spirit comes. You can't do it. So Peter goes and he waits. And then in Acts 2, what do we see? A changed man. A man who stumbled on his words, had anger issues, was biased, prejudiced against Gentiles. What did God do? Bam! Power of the Holy Spirit. Not only are we called to be a humble people and a gracious people in the vineyard in Myrtle Beach, but we're called to be a power-filled people, the Holy Spirit. In Acts uh, 1, 4 through 5 and 7 through 8, Jesus said, Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Simon Ponsonby, one of my favorite speakers on the Holy Spirit, English theologian, said, God does not expect us to serve and to serve for him without his help. Without his help. We are a people of the power of the Holy Spirit. We're a people who know that within ourselves there's very little we can do, but in the power of God, when we lay hands on, who knows what God will do. In every situation, whatever, we're reaching out to others, we're bringing a word of comfort, who knows what God will do. You and I both need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we need to be filled continuously over because we leak Somebody said, it's an old cliche, we're crackpots, right? So we have to continually have a filling. But the beauty and the majesty of all of this is we are not the source. Take that off of you. You don't have to do it. You just have to be available. Hello, I'm from the vineyard in Myrtle Beach. My childlike qualities are coming out. You can tell I have grandchildren. And... Uh, do you get this? So you can pray for somebody. The heat's not on you. It's not on you to do it. You can comfort someone. You can step into a conversation. Jesus even told them, don't worry about the words you're going to say. I'll give them to you when you need them. Now that takes faith, right? Because we all want it up front. Right? It's like telling Moses, head out. Where? I'll tell you when you get there. <laughs> what? You know, because there's faith involved. There's a stepping into it that's involved. But it's not up to you. You're connected to the source. He wants you to be a part of what he's doing. So this church believes in praying for the sick. This church believes that God can speak through you. This is part of our DNA, can encourage people. Do you get this, folks? And listen, let me, can I talk about the elephant in the room here before I close it out? Uh, He's a skinny elephant. Uh, he's got gray hair. But the elephant in the room is the interim pastor. Did you know every pastor is an interim? Uh, if you own a business, you're an interim. 
owner. You know, you won't be the owner forever. You know, we're all interims wherever we are. The DNA of God's calling goes on past that. It is the call of God that succeeds when we step on or whatever. And this DNA that God has placed in this church is meant to go on and on and on. It is the call of God on this church. It is deep in the heart of this church. And so what I say is, let's get to it. Let's get to it. Let's stand. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.